You're listening to the Good News in a Dark World podcast. Join us as we study God's Word and discover Jesus on every page. Here's Pastor Kevin. Asked uh, you all for some suggestions on your favorite Bible stories. Uh, one of you wrote on an index card, uh, When God Rescues Joseph. Now, as you might know, uh, the Joseph section of Genesis is actually quite long. It, it goes from chapter 37 all the way through chapter 50. I figure that none of you wanted to sit through a 14-chapter sermon this morning. And I don't want to sit through a 14-chapter sermon. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're to take a look at the very beginning of, of the story of Joseph, which is in chapter 37. And then we're going we're gonna to kind of fast forward to the end, to chapter 50. And we're going to see what uh, the life of Joseph has to teach us. Uh, many of you in your life, your Christian life, at some point have drawn uh, tremendous comfort from this section of Scripture. And, and we can all see why. Uh, because Joseph went through uh, a very difficult period of his life. It was a long time. We'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, again, you have drawn on this passage before to provide comfort in the midst of an affliction or a trial or a difficulty. And uh, that's what we want to see this morning. What does the story, the narrative of Joseph have to teach us? So Genesis 37, it's a rather long chapter. I'm going to read the entire chapter beginning at verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. 
They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt." Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt." When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces." Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. I've said this to you before, uh, but one of the things that, that we find so helpful about the book of Psalms is that they relate in what they say to our life experiences. We, we read the Psalms and, and we say, I can relate to that. I get that. One, one of the ways in which that's true is that the Psalms echo our own experience that this life is not always easy. We don't always get what we want in this life. Life is not always perfect for us, never is perfect. And, and it raises from the psalmist all kinds of questions. Lord, what is going on here? Lord, why is this happening? Lord, where are you? Lord, when are you going to do something about this? I'm sure that most of us in this room right now have asked those questions before. Why, Lord? Where are you, Lord? I imagine that there were times in, in Joseph's life when, when he asked these kinds of questions. When he was wondering, why is this happening to me? Can anything good come out of this? Brothers and sisters, I, I ask you the question this morning, 
How can you weather the storms of life and, and how can you trust in, in God's sovereign plan even when you want to scream, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? That is why this section of Genesis is, is so relevant and so practical for us. Because we all ask these same kind of questions. We want to consider this passage this morning in three parts. First of all, there is Joseph's dreams. And then there are his, brother, his brother's plot. And then thirdly, there are the lessons for us. Joseph's dreams, his brother's plot, and then the lessons for us. Now the statement that, that really sets the tone for this whole section of Genesis is found in verse 3. It says, now Israel, children, that's just another name for Jacob. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Now that's not a wise move as a parent. To love one child more than you love the others. And yet that's what Jacob did. And Jacob should have known better, right? I mean, think about, you think about Jacob's childhood. His, his parents did this very thing. His parents played favorites with him and his brother Esau. His mother, Rebekah, loved him more. And his father, Isaac, loved Esau more. And that led to all kinds of problems and, and dysfunction within that family. And, and while it's not the main point of the passage, it's an important lesson for us to learn that the, the problems and the, and the division that is often the result of favoritism. And that's what's going on here. Jacob should have learned his lesson. He, he had seen what, what playing favorites had done, but Jacob hasn't learned his lesson. And because Joseph is his favorite son, Jacob makes Joseph a special robe. We've all heard about this robe before, right? Verse 3 calls it a robe of many colors. Now, the Hebrew here is actually quite unclear. We, we don't know if it means a robe of many colors. We don't know exactly what it means. Uh, the only other place in the Bible when this word is used is in the book of 1 Kings, when it's used to refer to the robes of a king. And so whatever this robe is, whatever color it is, we know that it is a very nice robe, a very expensive robe, probably a very well-made robe. And it's given to Joseph. And children, you, you know, Joseph's brothers can't stand this. Every time they, they see their brother coming, every time they see him walking down the robe, road with this robe on, they are reminded of the fact dad loves him the most. Dad has set his greatest affection on him. And, and Joseph now, he, he angers his brothers even more by telling them about his two dreams. He, he goes up to them and he says, I, I had this dream that we were all out in a field. We were tying up bundles of grain and, and your bundles came up to my bundle and bowed down to my bundle. Verse 5 tells us that, that when they hear this, they, they hate Joseph even more. And then he goes back to his brothers and he says, you know what, guys, you'll never guess what happened. I had another dream. And, and in this dream, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. The picture is that, that Joseph's parents and his brothers would one day bow down before him. And, and now you notice that the, the hatred 
toward Joseph by his brothers is, is kind of at an all-time high. In fact, Moses wants to drive home the point that his brothers can't stand him. If you look at verse 4, it says they hated him. It says they, they couldn't speak peacefully to him. They couldn't even have a polite conversation with their brother. Verse 5, they hated him. Verse 8, they hated him. Verse 11, they were jealous of him. It's not just that they don't really care for Joseph. It's not that they would just, you know, kind of rather hang out with another sibling. It's that they can't stand him. They actively hate him. Again, you can see the, the dysfunction, the division that has been brought into this home. At a certain point, the, the brothers are in Shechem. They're, they're pasturing the family's flock. And, and, and Jacob comes to Joseph and he says, I want you to go there. I want you to go to Shechem and I want you to see how your brothers are doing. Uh, Jacob wants to know what's going on. He wants to know not only what's going on with the flock, but he also wants to know what's going on with his other sons. Because as we know from previous experience in Genesis, these sons get themselves into trouble. And so he's going to send Joseph to Shechem to see what's going on. And, and so in obedience to his father, Joseph leaves Hebron and he makes about a 50-mile trek to Shechem. It would have taken him about three days to get there. Now, there's something you need to understand about Shechem. Back in Genesis chapter 34, uh, a terrible series of events took place. Dinah, Dinah was Jacob's daughter and the sister of these brothers. Dinah was defiled by a man by the name of Shechem. And, and you might remember the story that because of this, because of the defiling of, of Dinah, Two of the brothers, Simeon and Levi, they decide, well, a little vigilante justice is in order. And so these two brothers go to Shechem and they slaughter all the males. They just wipe them out. And so when, when Jacob tells Joseph to go to Shechem and find his brothers, Joseph isn't going into friendly territory. Joseph is going into a place where he would be hated and yet we see in this a son's steadfast willingness to obey his father. So Joseph goes to Shechem. At a certain point, this, this man finds Joseph wandering around the fields, probably looking for his brothers. And he says to him, what are you looking for? And, and Joseph says, I'm looking for my brothers. Do you know where they are? And, and this guy goes, well, they're not here anymore. But I, but I heard they went to Dothan. Dothan was about another 15 miles away. Now, don't you think it would have been really easy at this point for, for Joseph to say, you know what, I tried my best. I tried my best. Um, I'm going to go home. I'm going to tell dad that I couldn't find them. I mean, Joseph knows his brothers can't stand him. When, when, you, were, when you were 17 years old, did you want to chase down people who hated you? Of course not. Why, why continue traipsing all over the place looking for them? Why make another 15-mile one-day trip to Dothan to find these guys who can't stand you? And besides, Jacob had sent Joseph to Shechem. And Joseph went to Shechem, and they weren't there. So it had been very easy for Joseph to kind of say, you know what, I did what I was supposed to do. They're not here. I'm going home. 
But again, Joseph had been given a task by his father. He was going to do his very best to accomplish that task. And so he makes the 15-mile trip and he goes to Dothan. And that brings us to the brother's plot. Joseph is approaching Dothan. If his brothers see him in the distance, remember they can't stand him. Dad favors him. Dad loves him the most. He thinks he's better than us. Here he comes wearing his fancy robe. He has these dreams that we're all going to bow down to him. And they say, let's kill him. Let's kill him. We'll throw him in a pit. We'll blame it on a wild animal. And then notice what they say. Very interesting in verse 20. They say, and then let's see what becomes of his dreams. Now, we all dream while we're sleeping. Some of us remember our dreams better than others. Uh, some of our dreams are very vivid. Some dreams make us wonder, um, why did I dream that dream? Maybe I need to cut out the salsa at night. Why did I have that weird dream? In Joseph's day, though, God would often reveal his truth through dreams. In fact, if you know the whole story of Joseph, you know that the two dreams he tells his brothers in this chapter actually later on are brought to fulfillment. Now, in regard to Joseph's dreams, John Calvin says something very interesting. John Calvin says that when the, when the brothers mock Joseph's dreams, when, when the brothers say, let's kill him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Calvin says that when the brothers say that, they are essentially rejecting the revelation of God. And in doing this, they become a type of all who reject the truth of God. The point Calvin makes, and, and I think it's a very good one, it's a very serious thing to mock or to reject or to disbelieve the word of God. Children, let, let me say to you, even at a young age, um, it's very important to understand that this is God's truth. This doesn't just contain God's truth. This is God's truth. This is not uh, human literature. This is not something written by men. This is not the opinion of, of people who lived a few thousand years ago. This is and always will be the word of God. And, and it's a very serious thing to mock the word of God. It's a very serious thing to reject the word of God. It's a very serious thing to ignore the word of God. Because here we see the, the brothers, even though God has revealed himself to Joseph, they, they treat it very callously. Now let's see what becomes of his dreams. Joseph's brothers should have realized that, that God was giving revelation to Joseph in his dreams. Now God doesn't reveal himself that way to us anymore. The, the word of God, the canon of scripture is complete. But what is my response to this? What is your response to this? Do we just accept the parts we like? Do we just accept the parts that, that don't step on our toes? 
Or do we accept the whole counsel of God's word? And so Calvin makes a very good point, a very legitimate point, that that this passage is a a reminder to us and and a warning to us of the danger of neglecting the truth of Scripture. And children, again, at a a young age, you're being brought up in Christian homes. You're being sent, perhaps, to the Christian school. You've been given many wonderful privileges to, to, in a sense, sit under God's word, not only on Sundays, but, but Monday through Friday as well. What is your response to this book? Well, at this point, Reuben, who is the, the oldest brother, he steps in and he says, we can't do this. We, we, can't, we can't kill our brother. Let's just throw him in a pit. So that's what they do. Joseph, Joseph shows up and they, they rip off his fancy robe and they throw him down into this pit. Now, in that day, pits were dug out of rock. They were about 15 feet deep. And they would use these pits for, for holding, for storing water. But as we're told here, this, this is an empty pit. There's no water in it. Now, the, the Hebrew is, is very graphic. It's not like, uh, you know, Joseph is just kind of on the edge of the pit and, and one of them just kind of nudges him and he falls in. The Hebrew is very graphic. It's very violent. They, they grab Joseph violently. They're not messing around. They're, they've had enough of him. They're sick and tired of him. And so they they grab him and they throw him down in a pit. And isn't it interesting, while their brother is down in this well, 15 feet down in a pit, they sit down and have a meal together. You talk about callousness. We We just violently threw our brother down into a hole. I'm hungry, let's eat. Now, while they're eating, they see a, a, a caravan of Ishmaelites coming. Not Ishmaels, but Ishmaelites. And Judah gets an idea. He says, hey, instead of killing our brother, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's make a little money off of him. Slave trading was very common in that day. Um, Going rate for a slave was anywhere between 15 and, and 30 shekels. And, and so they sell him. They sell him the Ishmaelites, also called here the Midianites. They sell him for 20 shekels. Basically, Joseph is sold as an average slave. And they take Joseph to Egypt where he sold to Potiphar, who is a, an officer for Pharaoh. Now let's say that we don't know the rest of this story. Let's say we don't know anything that happens in chapter 38 through chapter 50. All we know is this here in chapter 37. This is all looking very hopeless, right? Your brothers hate you. They can't stand you. They can't even have a conversation with you. They see you coming. They they rip your robe off. They, They beat you up. They throw you down into this pit. They sell you to slave traders who then haul you off to Egypt. And they end up giving you to a high-ranking Egyptian official. By the way, this is not the end of Joseph's problems. He's got two more problems coming up. In chapter 39, you remember that that Potiphar's wife makes false accusations against Joseph, and and Potiphar throws Joseph in prison. And then in chapter 40, when, when things are starting to look a little bit better for Joseph, 
When the cupbearer says to Joseph, um, don't worry, when I get out of prison, I'll make sure to get you out too. The cupbearer forgets all about Joseph and Joseph remains in prison. This is a rotten period in, in Joseph's life. And, and it wasn't just a period that lasted for a week. It, it wasn't just, you know, I had a bad month. Chapter 37, you may have noticed, tells us that when this whole thing started, Joseph was 17 years old. He's a high school student. He's 17. Chapter 41 tells us that when Joseph finally gets out of prison, he's 30 years old. This whole thing went on for 13 years. That's a long time. I've been here at Zion for 13 years. That's a long time. Hated by your brothers, thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, falsely accused, thrown into prison, and it's gone on for 13 years. What does this teach us? I mean, this, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? We, we don't just read scripture to understand it. We also read and study scripture to apply it. What's this teaching us this morning? What, what does the whole Joseph narrative have to say to us? I think three things. First of all, it teaches us about the providence of God. It teaches us about the providence of God. What exactly is the providence of God? Children, we... We use that word a lot, don't we, in, in our church? Um, you, you hear it quite frequently, God's providence. But what does it mean? Heidelberg Catechism very helpfully tells us that the providence is God's almighty power by which he is in control of all things so that nothing happens by chance. Nothing that happened in Joseph's life was by chance. Nothing that happens in your life is by chance. It wasn't that Joseph was unlucky. It, it wasn't that fate didn't smile on Joseph for 13 years. It wasn't that Lady Luck wasn't on Joseph's side. No, God was working through all of this he was, he was using all of these things to bring about his purpose. Namely, to save Joseph and his family when famine struck. I mean, think about this. Joseph, Joseph ends up becoming the second most powerful man in the world. And, and because he ends up in this position, he will be able to store up enough food so that during seven years of famine, Egypt will be spared. And when this famine is going on, when there's no food, Jacob and his family will go down to Egypt and they'll buy food from Joseph who is alive and they don't even know it. God orchestrated all of this to save his people. Think about, think about the what ifs of chapter 37. What if Jacob hadn't favored Joseph? What if Jacob hadn't given Joseph the fancy robe? What if Joseph's brothers hadn't thrown Joseph into a pit? What, what if the Ishmaelite slave traders didn't just happen to come by? What if they 
if they hadn't been on their way to Egypt? What if Joseph hadn't been sold to someone who was so close to Pharaoh? God worked all of this so that when famine hit, God's covenant people would have food. When your health is uncertain, when your, when your finances are short, when you are the object of someone's hatred, when a relationship has deteriorated, when things are difficult at, at work, children, when things are difficult at school, and when you are, are wanting to cry out, God, why is this happening to me? You may not see it. And you may not know how God is working, but he is working. And he's working all things for the good of those who love him. Remember Joseph's famous statement at the end of Genesis? Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says to his brothers who hated him, who threw him in a pit, who sold him as a slave, he says to them, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive. Brothers and sisters, God's providence is an amazing thing. It's a wonderful thing to to, in a sense, lay our head on the pillow of God's providence at night. To know he's working everything for your good and for his glory. Second thing that, that this whole narrative teaches us is it teaches us about the faithfulness of God. Children, you might remember that, that back in chapter uh, 3, God had made a promise. And it was a promise that he would send a savior who would save his people from their sins. You remember the story. Adam and Eve break God's command. In their disobedience, they, they plunge the entire human race into sin. They introduce death into the world. It all looks very, very, very bleak at that point. But the Bible doesn't end in Genesis 3. That's not the end of the story. God promises one who will deliver his people from sin and death. And, and later on in Genesis, God promises that this deliverer will come from Judah, one of Joseph's brothers. What would have happened if the famine came and there would have been no food for Jacob and for his family? What would have happened if, if Jacob and his family had died? What would have happened if, if Judah didn't survive the famine? That would have been the end of God's promise. No Judah, no Jesus. But, but God preserved his people here in the most unlikeliest of ways so that eventually Jesus would come. And so when we read the entire Joseph narrative, we, we can't help but see God's providence. We can't help but see God's, God's faithfulness to his promise. And one final thing, it teaches us about the salvation of God. When, when you read Joseph, you can't help but see Jesus. 
Joseph is a shadow of Jesus. Think about three things. First of all, like Joseph, Jesus went into enemy territory. Remember I told you at the beginning of the sermon that, that when Joseph went to look for his brothers in Shechem, that was not a place where he would have been welcomed. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, eternal God, took on human flesh and he came to this earth filled with people who wanted nothing to do with him. John chapter 1 verse 10, John says that Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus, in a sense, went into enemy territory, just like Joseph did in Shechem. Secondly, like Joseph, Jesus was despised. Isaiah 53 says this about Jesus. It says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. You can't help but when reading the Gospels to see the absolute hatred that people had, especially the religious leaders, had for Jesus. They despised him. They wanted to silence him. They wanted to kill him. Just like Joseph. And third, like Joseph, Jesus was sold. Children, you remember Judas Iscariot, right? One of Jesus' disciples. He was the disciple who betrayed Jesus. He, he betrayed Jesus. He sold Jesus for, for 30 pieces of silver, which isn't really a whole lot of money. Why did Jesus endure all of this? Very simply, he endured all of this so that we would live. So that we would not die in our sins. So that we would not die under the judgment of God. And, and all of this was part of God's perfect plan. Jesus was never a victim. God was not caught off guard when, when his son was nailed to a cross. Isaiah 53 says that it was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus. Acts 2 says that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan of God. All of this was God's plan to save us. Let me end with this. Again, you, can't, you cannot read this story without being pointed to Jesus. And so I end this morning by asking you the question, what is your response to Jesus Christ? Is it to say to him like Joseph's brothers did to Joseph, are you going to reign over me? Are you going to rule over me? Is it to say, Jesus, you know, I don't, I don't mind you being part of my Sunday life. I don't mind giving you this, this little slice from 9.30 to 11 and maybe from 6 to 7 at night. But Jesus, the rest of it is for me. I'm going to do what I want to do with my time, with my money, with my interests. Jesus, I don't, I don't mind you as my insurance policy. 
I don't mind you as the one who will keep me out of the fires of hell, but you're not going to rule my life. If that's your response, then your Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus demands that we submit all of our life to him. For he is the only one who can give us life. Jesus was thrown into the pit of God's wrath, pictured for us on this table. He was thrown into the pit of God's wrath so that we would never face it. That's incredible love that the Lord Jesus has shown for us. And as Isaac Watts penned so many years ago, love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. King Jesus is the one to whom we must submit all of our lives, rejoicing that he came. He came and he suffered and he bled and he died so that we would live. If you've been blessed by this podcast and would like to support this ministry, you can find us at www.goodnewsinadarkworld.com. Thank you for listening.